Thank you so much, Sarah and Joyce, for that beautiful prelude, and welcome to Chapel Street Church South Street Campus on this, the second Sunday of the Advent season. And speaking of Advent, uh, Christmas Eve is two weeks from today, and across our four campuses on that day, we have 14 services scheduled, uh, and three here at South Street. So right here, we'll have a service at 9 a.m., and then another at 4 p.m., and then at 6 p.m. And you need to know that all those services are pretty much the same, uh, except the choir will sing in the early service, 9 a.m., and then we'll have an or- orchestral ensemble uh, later in the afternoon. But there'll be the children's bell choir, all three services, if you're planning. And we have in the lobby these little cards out of the kiosk just to remind you of all the times in case you need to visit another campus or have family that wants to visit another one. These, this little card gives you all the times. You can also use them to invite a friend as well. Again, here at South Street on Christmas Eve, Sunday, 9 a.m., 4 p.m., and 6 p.m. Uh, we also need to let you know that Shepherd's Heart Ministry uh, has a need right now. You may or may not know that that ministry that happens in the lower level of this campus is right now reaching 500 people a week. That's 2,000 people a month. It's the heaviest traffic we've ever seen there, which means food and other resources are going out as quickly as they come in. So we are in need of restocking that pantry, and we would like to encourage as many of you as who can to pick up a bag. It's in the, they're in display out in the lobby area. Bag has written right on it the things you can pick up to fill it up. And if you're able to, pick one up and just bring it back here to this campus, filled up and drop it in the bin there. We would appreciate that uh, so much. Finally, um, next Sunday, d- December 17th, we have a unique event right here at South Street, uh, a, a sing-along carol sing at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, they'll be followed by a time of fellowship down in the student center, uh, and, and we are looking for as many of you as who would like to, to bake your favorite cookies or muffins or cupcakes or whatever and bring them with you that evening. Bring them into the front of the building and then down to the kitchen, and they will have, we'll have a team setting all those up for the reception and fellowship time in the, the student center where we'll have hot chocolate and so forth. So looking forward to next Sunday uh, afternoon, the carol sing here, and we'll be setting up uh, that part of the building uh, after services at about 11.30 next Sunday. I'll remind you of that again next week as well. So this morning we have uh, Ben and Vicki Jeffrey and their family to light our Advent candle. Good morning. I'm Ben. Uh, this is my wife, Vicki, my oldest daughter, Eliana, my son Simon, and my youngest daughter, Violet. Where is peace to be found? All around us we see chaos and despair. And yet, we know that the one is coming who will displace all fear and hatred. He will establish peace between God and mankind. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Bring peace to all our hearts and minds. Come, Emmanuel, come. As we go to prayer this morning as a congregation, I want to mention just a couple of people to you of whom you may be aware, but this past week, uh, Bob Coster had a fall at his home and ended up having um, 
hip surgery to repair a broken hip. He's at Delnor uh, recovering. Uh, we'll be in prayer for he and Claudia as they make decisions about his rehab uh, coming up this week. And Betty Fernandez also uh, is recovering at home from a fall where she broke her kneecap, uh, recovering well, but she's at home for a little while. We'll keep in prayer for her as well. And then one more thing. I just got this word yesterday uh, that Elise West, who now is in Florida, and who is the founder of uh, a ministry in Ukraine called Stephen's House, uh, let um, actually the Norses know from the, the Sunday school class that Stephen's House in Ukraine was this past week destroyed by Russian bombing. Uh, we've been involved, as many of you know, with Stephen's House for a decade or so, helping build it, raising funds, people doing the work, and Elise has led that ministry. Uh, the young men who were residents there long ago, uh, months ago were taken to safety at other locations, but uh, this is uh, heartbreaking news that the structure itself has been uh, destroyed. And so uh, we don't know what's coming next. We do believe that we will be involved somehow in providing some aid and support uh, for that ministry and those um, young men and for at least going forward. We just don't know enough yet. It's also recent, so we'll keep them in mind as well for prayer. So let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, moments ago we lit what is called the candle of peace of our Advent candles. And we do so because we celebrate your coming into the world as the Lord of peace, the bringer of all peace, the peace of your salvation through forgiveness of sin, the peace of hope that one day you will come again to establish justice, Bring your peace and joy in your eternal kingdom, the new heaven and new earth. But for now, in this in-between time, we see a lack of peace in the world around us. We are uh, shocked, heartbroken at the word about Stephen's home in Ukraine. Ministry painstakingly built, lovingly built over a decade or more of prayer and giving and work and vision. We thank you that those young men are, are safe today, but uh, we struggle to see the future of that ministry. We ask you to bring peace to Elisa's heart and all those who have served there, and that you will guide us and many others in how to respond uh, in the future. Uh, we um, know there's war in Israel. Uh, we pray for peace, but we struggle from our human perspective to see how that peace will come. We just pray for your people who trust you in that area to be instruments of your peace. We pray for Bob uh, as he recovers, that you would bring peace to his heart and healing to his body. For Betty, the same thing. And we continue to pray for Laura Chavez and Art Gustafson as they struggle with um, physical issues and illness, that you will uh, bring peace to them and their families, their loved ones, um, and that in healing to them as well. Uh, Lord, we simply ask that uh, those of us who know you and have trusted you by faith and know your peace, that we would be representatives and instruments of that peace, that you would guard our hearts uh, as we go through difficult times or watch others go through difficult times, guard our hearts through the hope that you bring, that one day you will bring your peace, your perfect peace. We bring these things to you this morning in trust and faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that became necessary as Serve the World sort of gained momentum was creating um, a structure to it. 
First of all, you need accountability for the funds that are coming in. You need decision-making for how they're going to be used. And then part of that was creating a, a Serve the World committee. So there's four others that brood over these decisions every six months. That team that Bruce leads, they vet the financial accountability of the ministry, they vet everything about that ministry before we decide to commit funds. So this team comes out of the room together, unified on each of the decisions, with excitement and confidence in how we are re-stewarding the generosity of Chapel Street Church. So each gift that is given to serve the world leaves Chapel Street Church. All funds are redistributed across the street and around the world. Huge to understand that. We don't keep any of it. Secondly, it's always going to make a gospel impact and make Jesus famous. And then finally, each gift is given with the vision that it's not dependent on us. That ministry will continue because we just help them get over a big hurdle, but the sustainability of that ministry is going to be well beyond the cashing of the check that we send them. What I've realized is the relationships that grow in Serve the World partnerships are with people. And as you spend time with people, you discover their hearts. And your heart starts to beat for the things that their heart beats for. My name is Michelle Placeris, and I have been serving on the board for Caring Network Aurora since 2021. Chapel Street Church highlighted Caring Network for our Serve the World, and I was not familiar with them before that, but God had already been prompting my heart, stirring a desire in my heart to serve in a new way. Hearing about the work of Caring Network mattered to me because I want women who are abortion-minded, those who are setting out to seek out an abortion, to find a clinic. I want her to know that there are people that love her, that care about her, that care about the baby. When our team looks at applications, a lot of time what grabs our heart is realizing that if we were able to give to them at this very moment, it would be a breakthrough for their ministry impact. Chapel Street Church was extremely generous. They were able to raise $250,000, and we are incredibly grateful to our Chapel Street family. What we were able to do with those $250,000 is actually two clinics. One is set up for Austin, just outside the city of Chicago, and then one in the city of Aurora. And that's the one that I have the joy of serving with. Each of the Serve the World partners has a story. The, the human trafficking space was one that was mind-blowing to a guy in his mid-40s when Naomi's house approached us. And I discovered that human trafficking was in the United States and it was in the western suburbs. It was on Randall Road. My name is Simone Halpin. I'm the executive director and co-founder of Naomi's House. We believe that every woman who's been commercially sexually exploited deserves a new start. In the last seven years since we started serving women, we have grown from serving five women through our residential program to having three programs in four locations throughout the Chicagoland area. And as we finished 2023, we have served 194 women. I think this story represents to me 
obviously and very clearly God's faithfulness. But something that we say all the time at Naomi's house that we believe and that we, we witness happen in the lives of the women we serve is that it takes an entire community to come alongside a woman's life after it's been shattered from exploitation and trafficking. And Chapel Street demonstrated that. They said, we believe in the mission of Naomi's house. We believe in the dignity of women. We believe in the restoration of someone's life that has experienced such evil. Simone helped me get her heart for women that were being trafficked. As we continue to serve the world, my hope is that Chapel Streeters will grasp one of the stories, one of the relationships, and individually figure out how they can be a part of the story. If you've been around Chapel Street for a while, you know that serve the world is just how we talk about local and global missions, is how we make the gospel uh, tangible and visible here in our community, but really all over the world. And usually we highlight one major partner at uh, Advent season time, uh, but this year we're highlighting the whole vision of serve the world to prepare for the partners uh, God may bring our way next year. You may not be aware, uh, I didn't even know how many partners we had this past year, but we had 36 different ministry partners in 2023 uh, all over the world, from India, Africa, South America, Aurora, Chicago, Hawaii, after the fires there, Thailand, Turkey, Stephen's house in Ukraine. And this year, uh, we want to raise $300,000 or more um, to be prepared for those opportunities that will come our way. So if you would like to be involved um, in, in, a, in a generosity campaign for Serve the World, you can go to our website. There's a Serve the World button there you can click. Or if you want to write a check, you can just write Serve the World on the, on the memo line of the check, drop it in our giving box in the back, and we would thank you so much for your generosity. And you'll hear more about Serve the World in a couple of weeks that lie ahead. Well, like most of you, I would assume, I do uh, love this time of year. I love the Christmas season. I love everything about it. I love the decorations, you know, putting up the lights and the tree and the whole gift-giving process, family being together. And I especially love um, driving around the neighborhood or sometimes walking around the neighborhood at night and just looking at how the houses are lit up this time of year. But I have to confess that sometimes uh, I can be just a bit judgmental with how people choose to decorate their homes with lights. For example, some houses are just a little too much. That's just, you know, showing off a bit. And other houses are kind of too little. I mean, <laughs> come on, you're not really trying at that point. Some are too professional. You know, I know you didn't do that by yourself, right? It's just too neat. Uh, some are just too tacky you know, too much plastic, and some are just kind of lazy. You know, the, the little projected <laughs> polka dots on people's houses, just a little too lazy. Uh, now, the truth is, I really should celebrate. And by the way, I really hope I didn't put one of your homes up there. <laughs> if so, I hope you'll forgive me, just as I have forgiven you. Okay. <laughs> But the truth is, I really should celebrate and not be so judgmental, because whether these homeowners know it or not, every home that displays lights at this time of the year is, in a way, bearing witness to the one who we are here to celebrate is the light of the world. 
Uh, We're in a second week of our Advent series called Light and Life. We're spending four weeks in just 14 verses from the first chapter of the Gospel of John, looking at four great images that John uses, themes he uses to describe Jesus. Word, which was last week, light, life, and glory. So I'm going to read these uh, 14 verses for us again before we dive in. So just watch the screens or open your Bible. I'll be reading from the New International Version, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist here. More about him in a minute. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, we began last week by looking at what John means by the Word, and that is that Jesus is the eternal Word, the divine Word, and the creative Word. Now, today we look at His next image, which is light. Now, I want to read again um, the verses that have to do with light, and I want to ask you to read out loud with me these verses, John chapter 1, verses 4 to 10. So watch the screens and read with me. Ready? In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now you may have noticed there, because I highlighted the word light, but John uses the word light seven times in those few verses. Now the Greek word is phos, from which we get our word photo, and it means light, source of light, or radiance. Now, what does John mean by saying that Jesus is the light? Well, first, he's saying that Jesus is God's answer to the problem of darkness. That's the first point today, the problem of darkness. Now, how many of you have heard of a place called Rukon, Norway? Anybody? Maybe a couple people. Okay. Now, Rukon, Norway, is a small town of about 3,400 people located about 100 miles northwest of Oslo. And it's known as one of the darkest places on earth, partly because of its northern latitude, pretty far north, 
and mostly because it's nestled between, in a valley between two large mountains. So from September through March every year, nearly six full months, it receives no direct sunlight. So for nearly six months, the people of Rukan live in the darkness of a great shadow. That glowing light you see in that photo is not the sun. Because in 2012, the town installed three large computer-driven solar mirrors built 1,500 feet above the town on the mountainside to reflect sunlight down into the village. It's incredible. Which means that during the months of darkness, people can actually walk to the center of the village where they can walk in a little bit of sunlight. It's an amazing story. John writes, In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, a couple things here. First, just as he did when he said Jesus is the Word, he's again reaching back to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis 1, we see the whole Bible begins with, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, the Word, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So John here is drawing a connection, which have been immediately recognizable by his Jewish background readers, between the coming of Jesus and what God did in creation. He's saying that as God brought physical light into the darkness of the earth, Jesus brings spiritual light into a dark world. Now, darkness can simply be defined as the absence of light. And in the absence of light, there is chaos, confusion, maybe fear. If you've ever been in a truly dark room, I mean, completely dark room, or maybe you tried to drive on a really dark road at night, you know that it can be disorienting. You can lose your way. Uh, you, you can be, you, and fear comes with that. It can be scary. Uh, speaking of the coming of Messiah, Isaiah the prophet wrote, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. John says it this way, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, what does the prophet mean by those living in the land of deep darkness? What does John mean by this image of darkness? Well, both are referring to what we would call the darkness of sin and death in the world. Now, you don't have to be a PhD in history or sociology or political science to see that there is darkness in the world. You just have to read the headlines or listen to the headlines. War in Israel. War in Ukraine. Do you know that right now there are wars, civil wars, or terrorist insurgencies happening in 32 different countries in the world? We only hear about a few of them that make our news reels. But in 32, 32 different countries... Or a million unborn babies terminated in the U.S. just this year. Or the darkness of human trafficking, which happens, as Bruce said, right in our own communities. And on and on and on. Not let alone considering the darkness of some 10,000 years of human history. 
Throughout the Bible, darkness is a consistent metaphor for sin and death. To walk in darkness, therefore, means to live without truth, to live in rejection of truth. Not just the sin and darkness that's out there in the world, which we can all see, but the sin and darkness that is also within. In John 3, we read, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Physical darkness can be described and defined by the absence of light, and spiritual darkness is the same way. Same way. It can be defined as the absence of truth or, in John's words, the absence of Christ. Darkness, therefore, is, a symbol, is symbolic of the fallen state of all creation. Darkness describes sin and evil and death in the world. And darkness is simply the absence of the light of Christ. Now, just as the people of Rukan uh, solved the problem of physical darkness with reflected light, so God has chosen to address the problem of spiritual darkness with His light, with the Word who became flesh. Back to verse 5. The light, Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now that word translated overcome is a Greek word, a long Greek word, katalambano, katalambano and it means uh, to take hold of or to seize. And it has kind of a double meaning if we translate it in English. It can mean like overcome as in overpowered, like the darkness has not overpowered the light. Um, I always think of a couple of years ago, uh, we had a power outage in Batavia where we live. Um, and it was evening, so everything went dark. You know, nothing worked in our house. So I went to the closet. Uh, you know, every ha- everybody has a closet where you keep, you know, your flashlights and paper towels and stuff like that. So I go to that closet to dig out a flashlight. I found one. Battery's dead. I found eight flashlights. In one closet, batteries dead in all of them. Okay, so we lit a candle, lit candles. And it was interesting, lighting even one candle in a dark room pushes away the darkness. John says the darkness cannot overcome his light. But the other way that word can be translated is comprehended as in understanding or accepting. He's saying the world is dark in sin and death because it has not understood or accepted who Jesus is as the light of truth. There's an author and theologian named Fleming Rutledge who writes, Advent begins in the dark and moves toward the light, but the season should not move too quickly or too glibly lest we fail to acknowledge the depth of of the darkness. So God is solving the problem of darkness through Jesus. Secondly, we see the power of the light. The power of the light. Uh, A number of years ago, maybe uh, 20 years ago or so now, my parents came to visit us. I think it was either for Thanksgiving or Christmas. We had moved into a new house. It was their first time visiting us in this house. So when we showed them the bedroom where they would be staying, we were careful to show them the bathroom that they would use because it was down a little hallway, turned to the left, and there was the bathroom. And we were very careful to show them that because if you went down the hallway and turned to the right, there was a stairway there, 
and we didn't want them to have a problem with the stairway. So the next morning, um, my dad comes downstairs, and I notice he's walking kind of gingerly. I said, Dad, are you okay? And he told me he got up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom and walked, uh, the house was dark, and he walked down the hallway. Instead of turning left, he turned right, tumbled down the stairs into the railing and hurt his ribs. And we felt terrible about that because we left the, the hallway dark. And to this day, we have a small little nightlight in that hallway that we still call Papa's nightlight. Um, in the same way, Jesus is the light of truth, John says. Light overcomes darkness, drives it out like the candle during the powder outage or the little nightlight in a dark hallway. Light is truth, and truth reveals. C.S. Lewis once wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Jesus reveals the truth about the world. The world is sinful and broken and dark. Jesus reveals the truth about us. We are also sinful, broken, and dark without him. And therefore, Jesus is the one who shows the way. In John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And because he is truth, he's also the light of salvation. In John chapter 8, we read, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Paul, writing to the Colossian church, said it this way, For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is light because he is truth. And because he is truth, he reveals, and he is the way. And ultimately, he brings life. Life will be the topic next week as we look in again into this passage. So we see that Jesus is the answer to the problem of darkness. Jesus is the power of light, the true light. And thirdly, in this passage, we see a personal witness. A personal witness. You may remember this story, I can't remember when I used it, but two months after my wife and I were married, um, 37, 38 years ago now, uh, we moved to Bolivia, South America, to teach uh, for six months at a Christian university there. And as you might expect, we had tons of cultural experiences, uh, made, made some really uh, unique friends, um, but no experiences quite as unique as the one I'm going to tell you now. One day we were going to a local market or something, and I noticed that there were a crowd had gathered in the street. Uh, there was cheering and clapping, uh, quite a lot of excitement. So I wandered up to the edge of the crowd to see what was going on in the street. What was everybody all excited about? And in the middle of the crowd, middle of the street, was a, a kind of street performer. Uh, turns out he was a, a gypsy, they called him, dressed in kind of traditional gypsy garb. And he was... Uh, doing all kinds of tricks, juggling, some magic tricks, and people were gathering around. Um, and then uh, he, he paused, and he took out from his pocket two uh, big, long, I guess you'd call them ten-penny nails, just big nails, and, and he had a hammer. And he walked over, took a, a two-by-four board, and hammered the nails into the board so everybody could see. You could hear it, bang, 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 bang. Showed the board to everybody, used the, the hammer, wrenched the nails out of the board, and then he took one of those nails, 
I'm not making this up. He held it up to his face and he hammered that nail straight into his nose, into his nostril. Tack, 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 tack. And there were, the sound from the whole crowd was like, oh, I made the same sound, like out loud. It, it, it made my eyes water to watch him hammer the, nose into, hammer the nail into his nose. And then he did the other one. So he had these two nails sticking out that far from his nose and he walked around, you could see them, no blood or anything. And then he took the claw of the hammer and Exactly, I made that same sound. And then pulled the nails out. Now it turns out, much later, and I thought about this story, I looked it up. And evidently some people have enough space in their nasal cavity to hold a nail. I, I don't. I don't think I could do that. But, but he did. Uh, all I know is that that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. <laughs> You may, you may be thinking, and I would not believe you, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And I wouldn't blame you. But I'm here to tell you that's what I saw. John writes, verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now here, John, the writer, is introducing John the Baptist who was simply called the baptizer in his day, but who we really should call John the Witness. Now, John the Baptist was a big deal, a bigger deal in his day than we generally realize from our perspective. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, I truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. In Jesus' eyes, John was the greatest man who ever lived. The New Testament tells us that John's birth was unique. In Luke 1, we're told that the angel Gabriel, the same one who appeared to Mary, appeared to his father Zechariah and told him that he and his wife, who were childless late in life, would have a son and that he would be great in the eyes of God, that he would lead many to turn to the Lord their God, and that he would prepare the way for the Messiah. He was set apart from an early age. Luke tells us he never drank wine or any other fermented drink. He was a preacher and a prophet. Matthew 3 tells us that John the Baptist preached a powerful message of repentance from sin. Now people from the whole region began to flock to him to have him baptize them for repentance from sin. He drew a great following. Some even thought he might be the Messiah of God, the promised one. But everybody in that area, region, knew who John the baptizer was. John, the writer of the gospel, says simply, there was a man sent from God, his name was John. Then he says, verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So he came as a witness to bear witness. That word witness in Greek is martyrion, which, from which we get our word martyr. It just means one who testifies as if testifying before a judge about what one has seen and heard. And we all, when we think about it, we all bear witness to many things. You know, you see, you see a good movie, you read a good book, you tell a friend. You're bearing witness. We see a great football game. Let's say the Bears win. <laughs> we bear witness to the miracle, right? We bear witness. We see a great sale at a store. We enjoy a great meal at a restaurant. We bear witness. I see a guy hammering nails in his nose. I bear witness, right? 
That's what John the Gospel writer is telling us. John the Baptist was sent by God to bear witness to Jesus as the true light. Now, John the writer knows this, and he wants to make sure his readers understand that John the Baptist was sent by God, but as great as he was, he himself was not the light. He was sent to bear witness to the light to prepare the way. Later in chapter 1, John will tell us in verse 19, and this is the testimony of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ, Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John the Baptist was not the light, but he was to bear witness to the light. He was not the message, but he was the messenger. I have a question. A lot of you know what I just talked about. Here's a question. Why was a witness necessary? Why was it necessary for him, John the Baptist, to come to prepare the way? Why wouldn't God who can do anything, who created the whole universe by speaking, why wouldn't God just light up the sky with giant scrolling script that says, attention, attention, I am coming into the world? Maybe today it would be a social media campaign. This is the Lord speaking. I'm now coming into the world, so pay attention. No. Here's the reason. God's plan, evidently, all the way along, was for the gospel of Jesus to be spread through human witness. If we go back to the great story that we all know, Luke chapter 2. Let me just read it for you from this perspective. Beginning of verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now we know shepherds at the time were held in low esteem in that culture. So the lowest of the low blue-collar worker. In fact, they weren't allowed to even go to worship in synagogue or at the temple because they were unclean because of their contact with animals. They were not considered trustworthy enough to bear testimony in an open court. The shepherds. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. A couple things here. Glory, which we'll talk about two weeks from now on Christmas Eve, shone around them, a terrifyingly bright light, but it comes, and this, this is the shocker, to the lowest of the low, the shepherds. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him... They spread the word. Let me read that again. When they, the lowest of the low, the least trustworthy in the culture, 
had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So I wonder if you see it. Can you see God's plan? Think about what happened. The God of the universe, almighty and holy, clothed in glory, decides to enter the darkness and brokenness of the world, and he chooses to give that good news to shepherds. That can't be the plan, can it? Think about it this way. You are here today without question because somewhere along the way, someone bore witness to you about Jesus. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a sibling. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a pastor at a church. Maybe it was Billy Graham. Can you think of that person right now? A person who bore witness to you about Jesus. Now let me ask the next question. Do you happen to know who bore witness to the person who bore witness to you? Maybe a grandparent. Maybe you've heard the story. And then what if I pushed it further? Who then bore witness to the person who bore witness to the person who bore witness to you? I think you can see where I'm going with this. Every single one of us here today stands at the end of a long, long line of witnesses. A line that stretches all the way back, if you pressed it far enough, to the pages of our New Testament. Pastor John Piper writes, Without a witness, no one believes. Without a witness, no one believes. Among the very last things Jesus said before ascending into heaven, Acts chapter 1, is this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So John the baptizer was a witness to what he saw and heard to who Jesus was and is. And he prepared the way. So were the shepherds all the way at the other end of the spectrum who bore witness to what they saw and heard and they prepared the way. And we too are witnesses. We bear witness when we gather for worship to lift up his name. We bear witness when we invite a friend to join us for a concert or a carol sing. We bear witness when we share our own story of faith to someone in our life. We bear witness when we minister through Shepherd's Heart to 500 people a week. We bear witness when we give to serve the world so that the gospel can be made tangible and visible somewhere in the world. Here's what John is saying. We are God's plan. We are God's plan. We are his witnesses when by word and deed we point to Jesus as the light of the world. And without a witness, no one believes. Without a witness, without our witness, your witness, no one believes. Will you bow with me as we close in prayer? Lord God, I thank you today for your word, your written word through which we know your truth, which we study week by week, through which we know the word that became flesh, Jesus, who is the light of the world. Thank you for the witness of John the Baptist, through John the Apostle, 
for the witness of those who've borne witness to each one of us here today. And by your Spirit working in us, may we also become bold and faithful witnesses to you, who is the light of the world. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Just before the benediction today, remind you, if you're able and willing, uh, pick up a a shepherd's heart bag out of the lobby at the display, and you can help us restock that pantry uh, this week. Thank you so much. Receive now the benediction. May we go now in the name of Jesus, the light of the world, and may we be his witnesses in word and deed. Amen. Have a great day. Thank you.